In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So from verse 25, we have given the divine promise of healing. We'll start from verse 25 because we covered this part last week. It says here, So I will restore to you the years of the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. So what God is saying here is saying, look, all of us, when we repent and go back to God, we always sometimes feel a sense of guilt. I have wasted so many years of my life. I just learned a spiritual concept that if I would have known it long time ago, I would have been somewhere else today. And I feel a sense of guilt, hopelessness. I have not served God enough. And then God has said, look, all the years that the locust has eaten, I will give you replacement. I will restore them. You wanted to serve since you were a child. Now I'm going to make you serve for a few years, but I bless those few years. They will be equal than somebody who served for 40, 50 years. When we walk with God for many years and we feel sometimes that we hit rock bottom and we're discouraged and we're broken, God says, I will restore the years that you have lost. This is, by the way, one of the most beautiful prayers that we can include in our life. God, restore all the years that the locust has eaten. All the years that the consequences of my sin has eaten. I might find myself spending years struggling against lust, years struggling against cheating, lying, judging, pride. And I lived all my life, my mind is in prison. And God is saying, I will reverse all that. Don't worry. This is an encouragement for me to repent. But not to delay. Verse 26, he says, You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. The people in ancient Israel, by the way, they knew the value of what it means to have enough food to eat. Here in the West, we do, this is not an issue. We usually have a lot of foods and we throw a lot of foods. But people in Israel knew what it means to have plenty of food that is enough for them. We have right now in, in our modern life, we have different ways to store food and preserve food and food is always available even in season and out of season. God is saying to a people who know how difficult it is to have plenty of food, he told them, don't worry, I will give you enough food. I remember when we were in Africa uh, seven, eight years ago, people did not have water and all what, all what everybody was saying, we have to pray so God can send us water. We have to pray so God can send us water. And there's a prayer meeting we had just to God can send us water. See, God is saying those little kind of anxieties that you have in your life to meet your essential needs, I will take care of it for you. 
Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. This verse is beautiful. Why? Because when I repent, I finally get to taste God in a different way. As if almost I'm seeing him for the first time. He said, and you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. There is no knowledge of God without repentance. And God wants to us to know that he is in our midst. God wants us to know that he's in our midst. I'll tell you guys something. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, our, I was reading in the Gospel of John about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that caught my eye for the first time is that everybody's so occupied with they're going to crucify Jesus and Jesus is this and all the events that's happening and Pilate and all this stuff. And then you'll see the Bible mentioning very minor details. The Jews wanted to change the sign and say he said that this is the king of Israel, but God didn't allow the sign to be changed. Or they casted lot on his, on his garment. Who cares? Why is this a big deal? Why is the scripture going out of its way to mention these small details? Because even though the world is so occupied with all these big events, God will tell you, I am with you in the smallest detail that you could think of. That's why one of the fathers said, our Lord is so humble that if he was here today, we might not notice him. This is what God wants from us. This is the nature of God. He's holy. And he wants his people to be victorious. We need to know that God is our Lord. It means that when I repent, I know whenever I have a problem, I'm going to immediately run to God. Whenever I have a problem, immediately I'm going to feel I have no refuge but him. You see, all the, all the, the encouragements that God is giving him so far has been a reversal or things that they're familiar with. Verse 28 to 32, it's a completely different shift. It says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. You see, the prophet, you have to imagine, what is the prophet seeing? The prophet doesn't only see the reversal of the plagues and doesn't see only the northern army stepping back, but he also sees the day of the Pentecost. This is the verse that St. Paul, uh, St. Peter have referenced on the day of the Pentecost. He told him, those men are not drunk. But this is the fulfillment of what happened in the book of Joel. You know, this is, I'll tell you guys something. If you ask any parents, what do you want to give to your children? He'd be like, I want to give them the spirit that I have received. How can you give your child your spirit? 
You can try. It's not easy. God is saying, I will give you my spirit. I will give you my spirit. Be careful because to Israel, if I have rain, if I have crops, if I have vine, it means that God is happy with me. And these were the signs of God's grace to them. Now for us in the New Testament, when the, work, when the Holy Spirit works inside of me, this is the sign that God is blessing my life. That's why the Bible says, do not quench the Spirit, do not sadden the Spirit. In the old days, the prophets and only some of the kings used to receive the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, everybody, everybody can receive the Holy Spirit. All right? If you see here, it says, it shall come to pass after word, the time of the prophecy. You don't know, obviously, Joel does not have a timeline in his head. He, he doesn't see a timeline. But God is showing him different visions of what's going to happen. He says, after this war, after this northern army issue, after all this stuff, far future, the Holy Spirit will come upon all the children of Israel. Actually, this is beautiful. There's a story killer in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, when God asked Moses to bring 70 elders of Israel to receive the spirit of prophecy. And two of them did not come. They were running late, so they were in the, in the camp. And while they were in the camp, they received the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. And then at that point, Moses said, with that all Yahweh's people were prophets, that Yahweh would put his spirit upon them. Moses, when he saw this, when he saw that the two people were behind, they received the Holy Spirit in the tent, he said, wow, would the day come would Yahweh pour his spirit upon all his children? This was the desire of Moses in the book of Numbers chapter 11. Our children will see dreams and visions. Now people who see dreams and visions are everybody. It's not limited to prophets. It's not limited to saints. It's not limited to priests or monks or nuns. Everybody can see visions. Everybody can receive the work of the Holy Spirit. We have saints who are children, who are elder, who are women, everybody. We were just reading Kida in the, in the book of Abuna about his memories in the prison and he said that he saw Pope Carlos in a dream and he told him about a prophecy when they will come out we can see vision we can see dreams the Holy Spirit is in all of us what an amazing grace It will be sad if we walk around and don't understand what we have. It will be sad if I am in the New Testament and still think I live in the Old Testament. God has poured His Spirit upon all of us. 
Look at verse 29. He says, And also my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit on those days. This verse is significant. Why? Because the slaves in Israel were not always Jews. A lot of times the slaves were foreigners. So in this verse is saying that God will pour out his spirit on who? On non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. Can you imagine? A Jewish person reading this prophecy. Wow. It's amazing. That's why St. Cyril of Alexandria said, the Holy Spirit seeks not dignities but piety of soul if my soul is holy the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in my soul verse 30 says a and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke you see guys when you see a verse like this it's it's so wonderful how the whole scripture is all one when he sees, he sees a blood, fire, pillar of smoke. When did this happen? In the Old Testament, when Moses was crossing the Red Sea. When is it also happening? During the time of plague, during the time of the northern army. When it also will happen? In the time of the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it will happen in the second coming. The sun shall be turned into darkness, like happened in the first coming, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great, awesome day of the Lord. You see, here is the thing. Even though Joel said that God will pour his spirit upon all of us, and he will accept your repentance, and all the good things that he promised, but the day of the second coming, the signs still look the same. This is, by the way, one of the things that prove that this is a prophecy. If you're trying to make a shift in what you're writing, you would expect him, once he says God will pour out his spirit, unless you expect a peace and prosperity forever. No. He's saying the second coming is going to come. The sun shall still turn into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the day. The first coming of Christ points us closer to the judgment day. Points us closer to the judgment. There is no more prophecies after the first coming of Christ. We're not waiting for anything else except the second coming. That's what we're waiting for. There is no significant events in the history of our salvation we're waiting for except the second coming. That's it. And verse 32, it says, And it shall come to pass, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among remnant whom the Lord calls. He's telling look, when the day of the Lord comes, the second coming, it's very fearful. I just want you guys to follow the events. If you repent, God is going to reverse all the locusts, all the plagues. The northern army is going to go back. He's not going to harm you. And God will give you blessings. He will give you, He will restore the days that the locusts have eaten. And He will also give you the Holy Spirit. And a plus. 
And now he immediately moves to the day of the Lord or the second judgment. And he said the sun will turn into darkness. And it will be a fearful day. Can you see? He sees all this at once. But he said, you shall not be afraid. This is for us. Because the Lord shall call for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance. What is Mount Zion? What's Jerusalem? Is a church. If you are part of the church, remember we said Zion represents the true worshiper of God. Then you do not perish. If you pray the name of the Lord, that's why the church teaches us always to say the air prayer. My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. My Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you guys understand? Now, the main reason that this shows you that this part of this verse points to the second coming is because he said, and the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. I want you guys to pay attention so I don't lose you. What happened was, in, historically, is Israel, they did not obviously repent. Judah did not repent. They were both in exile. And after they went to exile, they have never had their independence at all. And they were scattered all over the world, with exception to a few years in the, under Joseph the Meccab. Other than that, they were scattered all over the place. And God said, and this is also what Paul said also, there is a small remnant of the Jews that God will bring from all over the world to come and worship him. So from the Jews, there is a remnant that will be saved. Plus, all those people who are in the church of God. So in these two verses, we see he's talking about the second coming. He's talking about the judgment day of the Lord. He's talking about the sun will turn into darkness, just like our Lord said in Matthew. He's saying that there is a remnant that will come back, or God will, will still bring back. And he's also saying that on these days, those who are in the church, those who are in Mount Zion, shall call upon the name of the Lord, and they will be saved. That's why the church is an ark of salvation. And any time the devil wants to make somebody drift away from God, he takes them away from the church. He takes them away from the church. Because inside the church, it becomes extremely hard to tackle them. And we have seen this with COVID period, when a lot of people did not come to church their spirituality was significantly impacted. Okay? Now, the book of Joel in chapter 3 will become almost a pure prophecy about the second coming. So we'll go to the start chapter 3, verse 1. He's talking about judgment on the nations and that all the nations beside the church will be destroyed. By the way, you see, he's talking now completely second coming. Let's see what he's saying in, in, verse, in verse 1. For behold, on those days at that time, when I bring back the captive of Judah and Jerusalem. You see? He's saying, in those days, on those time, I'm going to bring back the captive of Judah and Israel. All those people who were, all those people of Judah and Israel who were in diaspora all over the world, I'm going to bring them back. I don't want to make any prediction or anything like that, but we've seen in 1948, 
that the nation of Israel were gathered together against all odds and they started forming a full nation in Israel. Nobody have expected this to happen. It says, I will in those days when I bring back the captive of Judah and Jerusalem. He'll bring back. Okay? And this was the promise that God has given in Deuteronomy 10.3. Uh, that means those days the, the kingdom of heaven is, is getting closer. The second the second day, the day of judgment is getting close. He says, I will gather all the nations and bring them down in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them on the account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nation. They have also divided up my land. Let's take this verse, skill to understand what's happening. In the Old Testament, King Jehoshaphat had a war, and you will see it in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And what's happening is a lot of nations were rising against him to fight him. So God told him, all what I want you to do is to bring the Israelites and praise God. And you see what he will do. So imagine four or five nations coming to attack him. All the Israelites are praising God. And what ended up happening, these nations started fighting each other. Until they destroyed each other. He said, he said in Second Chronicles 20, And they began to sign and praise God. This is the people of Israel. And the Lord set an ambush for the people of Ammon, Moab, and Adum, who has come to attack Judah. And they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites attacked the Edomites, destroying them completely. And after that, after they had killed the Edomites, they killed each other. I'm sorry, this verse needs a little bit of explanation. That's why I'm going to that in, in a little bit more detail. So what is God is saying? He says, in that day, in the judgment day, it will look exactly like the war that happened at Jehoshaphat. What is happening at the day of Jehoshaphat? The people of God, the church, is praying and praising God. And the nations are destroying each other. So you have two options, either to become a warrior of prayer and praise, or the other option is to get into the world and the problems of the world. In that day, God, and by the way, the same exact verse, you will see it in Revelation 16, 16. The Bible is so coherent, it's, it's amazing. It says, and they gathered them together in the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon, that's in 1616, Armageddon is the valley of Jehoshaphat. And again, we said when he talks about my people, my land, he's talking about the church. The righteous will see the evil people getting punished for all what they have done. And God will judge the devil for all the troubles they have caused. Verse 3 said, why are they, God is punishing them? For they had cast, casted lots for my people, have given a boy as a payment for a harlot, and a sold a girl for wine that they may drink. What does that verse mean? He's saying that the devil took my children, who are so valuable to me. He will take a boy and make him a payment for a harlot. And yani, eh? 
يعني it means that the children of God were worthless to him just for, for somebody to have one night of fun with a harlot he will sacrifice a son a boy or sold a girl for wine he will take a girl of the children of God and has no problem to ruin her just for a cup of wine so God is saying they have disrespected my children they have ruined my my people they had no respect for how the children of God are the image of God they abused them God is saying this is why I'm going to punish them this is why I'm going to punish them that's why by the way these, these things are against the laws of the Old Testament if, for example I'll give you in Exodus 21 6 it says he who kidnaps a man and sells him for he is found in his hand shall surely be put to death so somebody kidnaps a man to sell him as a slave shall be put to death God is saying the devil used to steal our purity used to steal our holiness and sell it for something cheap you want to have fun for a few minutes watch this video you want to make a lot of money why don't you gamble you want to look uh, strong why don't you yell he said the devil has sold my children for cheap and I have to be careful about that I cannot let my purity I cannot let my thoughts I cannot let my life be sold for cheap I cannot let social media ruin my life that's what God is saying okay Now he's saying that there's another shift he's going to make. He says, Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the coast of Palestine? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head. I'm sorry, I'm going to also spend some time to explain what he's saying here. Tyre and Sidon, and the, people, and the small tribes on the coast of Palestine, the coast of Palestine are very small nations, very small tribes. And historically, they have never caused a significant threat to Israel. Okay? But what happens? When the northern kingdom will come and destroy Israel, Israel will become very weak. So it's easy for the small nations around them to come and steal, you know, at night they can come steal a few things. They can come and take advantage of how weak they are. For God is saying that even you, Tyre and Sidon and Palestine, who've committed these little sins here and there, who allowed my people to be humiliated, even if you thought I, di I didn't see it, because you snuck it at night. Because the northern kingdom looked at the evil guys and you came from the back and tried to, to And God's saying, even if you lie and you hide it and try to look good, God is saying, I will still retaliate against you. 
I will still reiterate against you. Some people say that Tyre and Sidon are some of the places that taught Israel how to sin. And we'll see in Amos 1, 9 through 10, it says, For three, three transgressions of Tyre, for four I will not turn away its punishment, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Adam, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. But I will send fire upon the walls of Tyre, which shall devour its palaces. So they have actually taken some of the children of Israel and actually kidnapped them, sold them. They were people who were doing all these little things that they might not consider a great threat to our spiritual life, but they still destroyed our spiritual life. Okay? The beautiful thing is that God considers attack on Israel is attack on him personally. And we have seen this also in the book of Acts when God spoke to Paul and told him, why are you persecuting me? Every time I make somebody stumble or sin, I am persecuting God himself. Every time I'm not pushing people to holiness, I am persecuting God himself. That's what this verse is saying. So, just gonna, to keep it in mind, just to review so you guys, I don't lose you. So what is God is saying, he's saying, in judgment day is coming, and all the nations will come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. It means all the nations will come into a valley where I'm going to judge them. And God is reminding us that the people of God were standing and praising, and all those who committed evil against Israel killed each other. They died. All of them, they were destroyed. And God is saying, by the way, not only those big nations, not only the big enemy, not only the devil, but also these little sources of small sins, I will not forget. I will retaliate against them. I will take my revenge. In verse 5, it says, Because you have taken my silver, my gold, and have carried into your temple my prized possessions. What is God saying here? Almost every single enemy that came to Israel, they tried as much as I can to kidnap or to steal the, 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 the vessels of the temple. The vessels of the temple, something like the vessels of, that we use on the altar. We see this in Second Chronicles chapter 21. Uh, moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram, the spirit of the Palestinian and the Arabians, who were with Ethiopian, and came up into Judah and invaded it and carried away all the positions that were found in the king's house. This has happened again in the Babylonian invasion. When they came, they carried all the treasures, and one of the, the emperors tried to eat and drink in the book of Daniel in the vessels of the temple. So what God is saying is saying, you have stolen the beauty of the children of God. My silver, my gold, all the beautiful things that I give my children to use, to worship me, you have stolen. You left nothing. You left nothing. 
even the innocent children, they're trying to take away their purity. And also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, you have sold to Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. Actually, in the 6th and 8th century before, before Christ, Greek made an extensive use of slaves in their ships and their farms and their vineyards. So people used to sell them slaves and they would take them very far off. So he's saying, you have taken my children away from the church to a very, very, very far off places. You have kept them so busy in the world, day in and day out. They have no time to worship. They have no time to repent. They have no time to read the Bible. They have no time to live with me. You have kept them very busy. You have kept them very busy. It's almost like, you, this was almost like ethnic cleansing. You try to kill them with a big army. Whoever is left, you try to bring Tyre and Satan to steal what's left. And then whoever is left from that, you've tried to sell them to be far off. You have left nothing. You have left nothing. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your retaliation upon your own head. God promises. He says, just like the devil, you have sent all my children far away, and you try to fight them and try to put them in war. I am going to send you far away in hell. I'm going to retaliate against you. I'm going to eh, retaliate against you. By the way, keep in mind something. Israel has always been a metaphor of what's going to happen to the church. What's going to happen to the people of God. And the church now is, is the New Testament Israel. In the old days, God has expressed the spiritual warfare with armies, with wars, with soldiers. In the New Testament, God is using the devil as explaining the spiritual warfare now clearly because we have the Spirit of God. I'm going to stop here because I want to get to mention something before we leave. You see, Kedah, what God did in this, in, this, in this book so far? He took them from a state where they are extremely sinful to a state where he said, once you repent, I will pour out my spirits. I will give you blessing. And I will judge all those who stood against you and made you sin. And I will make you stand in the judgment day and watch. What happens to all the evil in the world? That's what God is saying. All of this for what? So that you repent. So that you go back to Him. The motivation for repentance are magnificent. The motivation for repentance are magnificent. That God is willing to reveal the day of judgment. So I could be motivated to repent. If hell does not scare me, if heaven does not attract me, if the work of the Holy Spirit does not motivate me, if the punishment of the world does not move me, 
God is saying, you will be part of the nations that will be judged. The path here in the book is very clear because there is no gray area in our spiritual life. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. We'll stand up, Gary, for prayer.